Hey folks, welcome to episode 120 of the Becoming Human podcast. This is part three in the Dallas Cloaking miniseries. This episode features stories about Dallas Cloakey and thoughts on fatherhood from Jason Griffith. Before Jason had been a father, he would climb with Dallas Cloakey, a legendary climber with 50 plus years of experience and a father of several children who have all grown up. Jason shares the stories of his adventures with Dallas and thoughts on children, family, and the call to the mountains. <clears throat> Sometime after Dallas died in a climbing accident in 2010, Jason had his own children. In our conversation, you can tell Dallas had a large impact on how Jason balanced fatherhood and climbing in the mountains. What's more is that Jason was very measured in his risk assessment in the mountains. Being a father myself and and a climber, I often question my decisions and I really enjoy experimenting with different ways to draw that line. Like, you know, what kind of risk am I willing to take given that I have a child that depends on me? Um, also, what risks am I willing to um, to allow my child to take and to, and to put him in these situations, right? And also, how do you balance doing the thing that you love and spending time with people that you love? And I think, or all of us wrestle with it in some way. And to listen to people working on it in their own lives and being inspired by others, it's just so much fun. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Without any further ado, here's Jason. How did you meet Dallas Cloakey? You know, I don't even really know. <laughs> Dallas was, <laughs> well, I mean, I saw Dallas before I met Dallas. So Dallas, if you'd ever been climbing a Mount Erie, um, you know, anytime probably for the last, uh, well, well, he passed, yeah, passed on in 2010, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like sometimes it's been a while. So, <laughs> so yeah, between 2010 and like the 1970s, you know, if you were climbing on Mount Erie, you saw Dallas Cloakey because he was there all the time. Wow. Um, so whenever I was at Erie, um, which wasn't that much, he was always there. So mm -hmm. I knew of him and, you know, reading the, the, books um that fred becky wrote the cascade alpine guides you know he's all through there in the north cascades with first ascents and that sort of thing so i knew the name i knew who he was he was kind of intimidating because he um you know he's older and he's a good climber and he's kind of intense so i didn't really approach him that much but then i started climbing with people that climbed with dallas and so that's how i kind of started hanging out with dallas was through um his climbing partners mainly scott bingen and, and steve trent and i think you've talked to scott yeah i've talked already. to scott yeah um and so and then and then brooks and others over the years so um so yeah it was kind of through through people that he was climbing with he was really um influential especially in the anacortis climbing scene with erie and so all those people who lived out there or came through erie knew dallas well and climbed with them and um yeah, and so that's kind of how I met Dallas. Wow, I don't remember weird. like I don't remember like it being a, a single point because I kind of knew of him mm -hmm. and then I knew who he was and then I kind of started doing stuff with him. So it's kind of like this progression. Yeah, but it wasn't like just one day or like oh this is Dallas because everyone knew who Dallas was. Mm -hmm. And his body of work is huge, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He was he was active in the Cascades for fifty years before he died. Wow. So, I mean, he was doing new routes even up until a few years, um, you know, at Erie, he was putting up a, a lot or large percentage of the routes. Mm -hmm. Either either he did them or he badgered someone to do them <laughs> if they were too hard for him. So like Chris Widener and 
uh, Ken Bean and some of these guys who climbed really hard, you know, that was harder than Dallas could climb, but Dallas would spot a lot of this stuff and mm-hmm. be like, you know, you guys need to go do this or whatever. He was always, you wow. know, he was always encouraging and kind of harassing to get people to get out and climb and stuff like that. So, you know, he, he was definitely a force at Mount Erie and everyone knew who climbed there knew who he was. Is that an unusual thing in your experience to encounter in like those kinds of communities? Yeah, I would say, you know, people tend to be more, um, and myself included, you know, climb a lot of different areas and mm-hmm. not necessarily focus in one area and then just always be there, be developing routes and that sort of stuff. But Dallas would, you know, and it wasn't only Mount Erie. He developed routes up on Iron Mountain and a bunch of these other places. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, have you talked to Brandon at all? Yeah, I've talked to Brandon. So Brandon, you know, worked with Dallas and some of these other crags. Um, and so, you know, Dallas would take these areas and you'd focus on them for a while and, and, and then he would move to other areas, but Erie was always kind of his home base. And Mm -hmm. so, cause he lived really close. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he would be there when it was ever good to climb, which is pretty often at Mount Erie cause it's in the rain shadow. He would, he would be active out there. So, wow. And did he ever describe to you, uh, what he loved about Erie? You know, I think it was the, I think it was the proximity to his house. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think he, he climbed enough that he knew that Erie wasn't the best climbing or the, um, you know, the highest quality rock or any, any of that. I mean, he was, I think, cognizant of, of the limitations of Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really beautiful, you know, especially on that south side when you're up there oh, high yeah. sun, looking out over, this, over the water and the islands. Fresh water. Yeah, yeah salt water and, and fresh water. So, I mean, he liked the setting, which we all do. But I think mainly it was the proximity to his house. So he mm-hmm. could, you know, he's a family guy. He had kids, he had a wife. Um, and so that's always a, a kind of a juggling act. And mm-hmm. so he could get in a few hours, a few pitches and still do family stuff. And it was, it was close. He wouldn't have to spend the whole day driving somewhere, climbing, coming back and being gone. So mm-hmm. he could do a portion of a day. And so I think proximity was one of the big things for Erie. Yeah, it's like under 30 minutes to get to Erie, isn't uh, it? It's probably under 15 from his house. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's right there. Yeah, and even the approaches for all the climbing is just yeah, yeah. super simple or super, yeah. But I've even heard like going up zigzag within like under three hours or something like that. Oh, like yeah. From, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so yeah, and he, and you know, he would have, moon, he would organize moonlight climbs oh, of really? zigzag. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, just being up there on full moons and in the winter and stuff like that, just... Just because it was something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so. really cool. He just loved genuinely just to be out there. And then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was he had a lot of nervous energy, I think. And so he just had to be doing something, whether it was running, climbing, mm-hmm. doing guidebooks. You know, he was, you know, always organizing notes and typing stuff up and writing in his journal, climbing journals about what he was up to and all that stuff. So he was he was always busy. I mean, that was the constant with Dallas is his work ethic and his ability to get stuff done. Um, not always without error. I mean, that was always the, the joke is that he was, he was always so enthusiastic and driven, but the like the, like the details sometimes would slip a little bit. So we'd always be like, Oh, you know, this part is kind of not quite right. Or maybe like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. You know? It works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Did, um, yeah. Is he someone, did you find ever find him to be someone who's more spontaneous into like wing things or to like make things, figure things out in the moment? Or was he very, uh, very planned? And Well, I think like most successful climbers, he, he definitely um, planned, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Erie, you could be spontaneous about because it's, it's Mount Erie and it's close and low commitment, but his Alpine uh, climbs, he, uh, he was definitely cognizant of, 
of the of the conditions in the mountains, the seasons, when stuff is in good shape versus not good shape, and would try like most climbers to try and maximize success by you know good weather, good conditions, the right partners, you know, mm-hmm. so all that stuff. So he was good at all that. Um, um, so I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's like a kind of a free spirit or anything like that. He was definitely mm-hmm. driven and and focused and and would plan stuff out. Yeah. And um, when you'd be climbing with him, did he ever, was he a very like, like competitive um, person when it came to climbing? Like when, cause when some people would be climbing. No, like, no, I, I never, yeah, I never felt like he was competitive with his climbing partners. Mm-hmm. He was always, um, you know, really competitive with himself, you mm-hmm. know, like that he could do something better, climb it faster, you know, whatever. So I, th- I always viewed it. It was, it was, you know, him, you know, being in competition with his own, you know, abilities and limitations and striving to be better. But I never got the sense that he was, you know, trying to be better than somebody or mm-hmm. kind of put them down or he was always very encouraging. Um, you know, when you were, if you were leading a pitch or whatever, you know, he was mm-hmm. like, you know, always, you know, supportive of that sort of thing. So I never got a sense that he was competitive in that sense, but I know he was competitive in general. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never ran with him, but I think in, you know, in general, he was, you know, that he, he organized a running race up to the top of Mount Erie annually. Hmm. And, oh, you know, he bad. was, he, well, he wanted to, he wanted to win. Yeah. So, yeah. So he was, he, he was competitive, but not, I didn't get that sense in climbing. Oh, he was wow. competitive. Yeah. It just seems like he has this like genuine enthusiasm for being out there. For sure. And yeah. even just beyond like, I'm going to get this climb. It's more, you know, enjoying climbing with friends. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, it, when you were climbing with Dallas, um, I had a, talked with, it was Scott. Um, and he said that when he was starting out, he would be climbing things that are like relatively difficult for him, but obviously very easy for Dallas. Um, cause he was new to, you know, to climbing. Um, and he said that Dallas was just genuinely like stoked just to be out there helping helping someone out like did you get that feel from him did he ever was he ever like a mentor or a teacher to you in climbing or was your guys's skill level like on par oh i think dallas was always the better climber than i was um you know i i when i when i kind of started hanging out with dallas i'd been climbing for about a decade at that point and i had kind of more or less kind of figured out that i wasn't going to be a you know, a really hot shot on the rock or anything like that. So I was kind of a mediocre rock climber. I was okay, you know, steep snow and ice and just kind of a general all around, you know, mountaineer. I, I really got into climbing cause I, I like to take pictures. And so, oh, um, I always wanted to get to a different vantage point. And so I learned, you know, I first started hiking and that wasn't enough just on trail. So then I figured out how to you know scramble peaks and I got guidebooks about that. And cause I wanted to get to a different vantage point. And then I was like, well, now I need to cross glaciers. So I learned how to, you know, cross glaciers. And now, well, now there's that rock, those rock pitches I got to climb up <laughs> that ridge to get to the summit. Like on something like forbidden or whatever. And so I kind of just put together the skill sets based on, you know, trying to get to new places that were exciting for me, like visually. And so I was never driven by the grades as much as like some of the climbers. Um, Dallas certainly was a higher, probably technical, Mm -hmm. um, you know, proficient climb, more highly technically proficient climber. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, you know, he, he definitely was good about, you know, just offering suggestions. If you saw you were doing something differently than he thought was, Mm. was, you know, a better way to do it or whatever. But, you know, he, 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 he was 
you know, he, I think you're right. He was genuinely glad to be out there and he, he would teach, but that wasn't, I don't think, um, you know, he was a teacher for his profession, but I didn't get the sense that teaching was like the main reason he wanted to climb. He mm. wanted to climb because he wanted to climb. I and, see. you know, you were a partner and, you know, he, as, as he knew throughout his career, it's like finding partners is often hard, mm. you know, like finding mm. people that you click with from a personality standpoint and then the objectives and that sort of stuff. So if you were willing to go somewhere he wanted to go, that was... Mm -hmm. That's all he, you know, that's, oh, wow. that's, that's what he wanted to do. Like, Hey, I wanted to go do this. You want to do that? And if you're excited about it, he's excited about it. Mm -hmm. And it might not be at the you know edge of his technical ability or pushing the grades or anything like that, but he mm -hmm. was genuinely excited for certain things. And so he had a suite of climbing partners that he could match up to those objectives. And so like oh. the ones that were easier or right at someone's ability, he, you know, he definitely enjoyed kind of stretching people and seeing them kind of push through um, their own limitations, but, you know, I don't, I didn't get the sense that, you know, he was really in it to try and, you know, push, push things as hard as possible mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But he, I mean, I definitely learned a lot from, from watching him in the mountains, that's for sure. But he, he did it kind of more in the old school way of, of kind of, um, being an example rather than talking a lot or giving a lot of one-on-one -on -one instruction. And that oh, sort of really? Thing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's kind of normal in that generation. Like he wasn't, I mean, he would, he was, <laughs> he was definitely not, I mean, it would have been interesting to see him as a gym teacher because he was, I think a <laughs> bit on the tough love kind of side. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't think, you know, he wasn't like this, uh, I wouldn't call him like kind of a warm, like grandfatherly kind of figure, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like he grew up in Cedar Woolley. So mm -hmm. in, you know, the 1930s and 40s when it was a pretty rough and tumbled, you know, timber town. Oh, wow. And so, you know, he, he kind of was a product of that environment and he wasn't a, a mean guy or anything, but he mm -hmm. was, I wouldn't say he was like really warm and fuzzy either. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, you, know you, you, you respected him and you kind of, you know, and fear is not the right word, but like, you know, you kind of, you kind of keyed in off what he was doing and like tried to like not let him down. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. not that I think he, he wouldn't, he never yelled at anyone that I heard, you know, like in the mm -hmm. mountains or anything, but you just didn't want to disappoint him, you know, kind of mm. thing. So you kind of like made sure your pack was, you know, in order and you were like not screwing around and you were getting things done. And, you know, he was definitely driven in the mountains and not, not screwing around, you know, like he, mm -hmm. when he was starting to hike, he was going and when he was like getting ready for a pitch, he was like racking stuff and organizing and like, all right, here I'm going. And oh, you're like, wow. all right, you're on play. You know, like yeah. there wasn't a lot of chit chat, you know, kind of thing. Oh, so, really? Yeah. 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 Wow. So you're just in the, in the moment doing, doing the thing instead of like talking about, you know, broader your life or anything. Yeah. We would, we, you know, we, we would occasionally lapse into conversations about different things that were going on, mm -hmm. um, about his grandkids or his kids or, you know, asking about my family or whatever. But, um, predominantly he was, he was definitely pretty, pretty businesslike, I would wow. say. Yeah. I mean, that was my impression on, um, so you, you did a lot of, uh, like Alpine climbs with him, or a few Alpine climbs. I did more him, right? Alpine climbs with him than I did climb in Erie. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And, um, in the Alpine climbs, how many, how long did you get? Would you guys usually spend at the top? Not real long. Um, you know, he, he would get kind of nervous and, and, you know, want to 
you know, go off and climb another peak or like, let's get going or whatever, you know? So I was always trying to take pictures. So yeah. I would kind of force him to like, you know, Hey, just sit down for a second. I'm going to take a picture of you or whatever. Cause, and, cause there's like an interesting dichotomy that exists there. Right. Where yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I want, you know, I, I want to get up there. I want this experience of ascending to the top. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours is more like looking for this vantage point. And yeah. And I, but that's, I mean, I, that's something I deal with, with all my climbing partners. I always mm-hmm. want to hang out and take pictures and stuff. And they're always like, you know, we got to get, yeah. going here wow. so um so that's nothing new so dallas no. is wasn't any different in that regard um and it's good because you know the conditions change a lot in the alpine snow gets mm-hmm. softer snow bridges are not as safe in the afternoon so um you know there's a reason to get up early and get up there and get down before um before it gets late yeah um, so I, you know, I, I would just always like another 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get the same thing where it's like, I'd go, I'd, I'd pass even when I'm going on, you know, just like uh, runs doing high routes and stuff. Like I pass, I'd just pass peaks pretty quickly. And I'd reflect on that. Some people who would say, you know, oh, you're not spending very much time like taking it in regarding the high routes and yeah, the yeah, safety yeah. situations. And I even reflect on that, like Washington pass, like when I top out on any of the spires, I'm like, it's been like five minutes up there. And it's just interesting because my my goals and the my whole narrative behind it is is on getting up there really yep yep yeah and yeah and yeah i definitely climb with people that are like that too they're like okay mm-hmm. like let's start to get up you know and then when the second comes up and you're up there you kind of take a breather you you know take apart the anchor start putting the rack away start like mm-hmm. you know organizing the rope for the rappels and like all right, let's go. And you're like, wait, yeah. we just got here. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> the fun part now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Can I just like sit here for five minutes? Yeah. Take some pictures. Yeah. Um, so that's all. Yeah. It's, you know, it's every, every, like you say, every person has different motivations for climbing and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but you know, at the same time, it's climbing is one of those things that at least for most people is safer and, and more f- fulfilling or more full of an experience with other people. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to balance those competing desires of your partners and how they're feeling that day. And everyone doesn't always feel the same every day too. So sometimes people are just feeling a little off or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're a little bit, you know, even people's, you know, I've had this on routes where I have felt really comfortable with the descent or with the route and other person's really nervous about something and vice versa. Like sometimes I'm nervous about something and they're like, Oh, don't worry about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so yet you're balancing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and Dallas was always really, you know, um, kind of a, a real steady presence in the Alpine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he never, at least in that I saw, he never expressed like worry or doubt or oh, whatever you know. waver yeah, yeah he's just like this is what we're gonna do and we're like okay well if dallas says we're gonna do it we're gonna do it wow <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a moment where you, you you hesitated looking looking at like the next pitch and dallas just like with certainty oh. led you along <laughs> <laughs> well yeah kind of but actually one time when scott and i were climbing with dallas up at washington pass um we were we were doing a, a loop where we went up and um it's like Half Moon, um, Wallaby, and there's a couple of towers up by like Kangaroo Pass. Mm-hmm. I'm trying I have to go back and look at the Becky book. But, um, you know, we were on, I think, Half Moon, and and Scott and I were scrambling up, and it gets like that Washington Pass kind of kitty litter, mm-hmm. you know, like decomposing granite. And yep. it was kind of fourth, low fifth class. And I was like, uh, you know, and there's plenty of trees to sling and stuff for for protection and I was like you know we should probably just like simul climb this like it, w- it wouldn't take that much more time and it's like totally safe because there's good anchors and 
but you know this like decomposing granite and it's all like ball bearings on slab oh, and stuff gosh. and i'm like ah. it's starting to get it's getting steeper and it's starting to get kind of fifth class and and so scott's like yeah okay and so as we're like getting the rope out dallas is like ah, i'm just gonna go up and look we're like okay and so he's kind of, and when he would get kind of focused or or maybe a little bit concerned he would a classic dallas uh trait would he would talk to himself uh-huh. he'd mutter and so he kind of heard him you know kind of <laughs> just kind of gets quieter and quieter and there's like the little rocks are tinkling down like <laughs> and scott and I are looking at each other and we're like i think he's just going so he he's gone and so scott and i then simon climb up and he's at the summit like reading the register up there he's like oh what do you think he's like and we're like, well, it's a little loosey. Like, yeah, it's a little loosey goosey, but I was already halfway up, so I was like, I'm just gonna keep going. It's like, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, I called for the rope, and Dallas was like, I don't think we need it, and he just kept going. I don't think we need it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a that was a that's a favorite memory of mine for Dallas. But yeah, and and that's getting at the different experience levels because he was just like, what? We don't need a rope. This yeah. Is like, I mean. And it, you're right. If you don't fall, you don't need a rope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. That's what Scott was telling me that coming from his experience level and meeting Dallas and climbing in the Alpine, he's just like, look at some of the things that like that someone with experience would climb without going, you know, moving unroped through this terrain, which he was Dallas, obviously confident that he can climb it, right? Yeah. Um, and safe with that confidence and not falling. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't know you could do that. And then that just changed his expectation, what he thought was possible. Yeah. Within safety margins. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And and, I, and I, the thing that I would always remember, though, is that I wasn't Dallas. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I would, if I, I would try and listen to the voice in my head sometimes. And so, you know. Yeah, so I would sometimes still, even though I saw that, like, well, Dallas mm-hmm. think this is a good idea, I'd be like, uh, I'm not sure if it's a good idea for me. <laughs> yeah, and so it sounds like like he didn't get, um, there wasn't any conflict there. No, he was, was never impatient, respect. or yeah, he That's never so was cool. like gave us attitude like, you guys are slowing me down. We didn't need a rope. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? No, he was just like, oh, yeah. It's something you work on with uh, when you run with people. I find. Because, oh, yeah. like if I like if I'm gonna do like a backcountry thing and it's a dialogue that goes on inside of my head and not like not harsh I, I feel like I confront it and it's a very subtle thing where like if someone is really slow and um, which you know that's all right but like you're running and now you're like a ways ahead of them and you come to a plight where you have to wait for them and you got to wait a long time um, right and like or you have to do it at closer intervals, but you have to wait often, right, for mm-hmm. little bits of time. And it really changes the experience. But like what you said is um, being in that setting with other people, like mm-hmm. that, that's an experience that's not comparable when you're, when you're solo because um, you get to, you know, share it with them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like for me, and I would wonder for, for Dallas, like it causes you, you spend a lot of that time waiting, thinking about those things, right? Yeah, but I think he, like we got like, a like we were talking about earlier, he really enjoyed being out there. Yeah, and so he was always, um, you know, wanting to go, go, go. But at the same time, you know, if you have to sit on a summit in the sun somewhere and yeah. wait five minutes mm-hmm. or whatever, it's not the end of the world. That, so. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> and I think those experiences, though, perhaps I'd like to think, anyways, are an opportunity to like wrestle with patience. Um, oh yeah, for sure. It, yeah, and I and I didn't know Dallas when he was younger. I imagine mm-hmm. it was probably different. I mean, I I was climbing with him, you know, probably like age sixty five to seventy, kind of. 
How long has he been climbing at that point? That was 50 years, yeah. Wow. So I, I organized um, a slideshow, and I wish some someone would record it, but he gave a 50-year climbing retrospective slideshow for the Alpine Club, the Scottish Alpine Club. Oh, wow. It was really great. Um, and he spent a lot of time on it, um, and he had slides going back for pretty much his whole climbing career. Um, and, you know, like slides, not digital, <laughs> like wow. actual slides. Um <laughs> And yeah, so it was, it was really great. And he had, um, you know, I, I can't remember all the, you know, lessons that he kind of went through, but he had a, he had a narrative and he had, um, points that he wanted to make. And it wasn't just like, this is all this stuff I've done. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, this is what I've learned kind of a thing oh. throughout his career, um, climbing career. Um, and so that was really interesting, especially as someone who was at the time, you know, just starting out with kids, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause he, I mean, that's kind of a common thing with climbing is you wrestle with time away from your family. And so, um, trying to, to balance that and raise children and, you know, stay married and all that kind of, <laughs> you know, all those kinds of yeah. things that are in the lowlands that are important, but at the same time, the mountains kind of are pulling you away from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was a really good, good slideshow and a good thing to hear as a young husband and, and father as well. How did you look to Dallas in terms of being a father and someone who loves to climb? Well, I kind of learned this is going to, this may, may sound, may sound a little bit harsh, but I kind of learned what not to do Mm, (laughs) because he, his, at his, at his, uh, memorial service, it was pretty obvious that, um, his kids, you know, we're not real happy with kind of the amount of time that he spent away, mm-hmm. um, especially when they were younger, when he was climbing a lot. I mean, you can see it in his climbing journals that he was gone a lot Oh, um, really? when they were younger. Yeah. He tapered it a bit as he got older, mm-hmm. mainly because I think his body didn't handle a, a multi-day pack very well. Mm-hmm. So he mostly do day trips. Mm-hmm. But when he was younger, he would be gone for a week at a time, you know, like up in the North Cascades, Whoa. like, you know, way back in there. And so he'd go on road trips to the Tetons and Wind Rivers mm-hmm. and like he'd be gone up in Canada and he was cause he, he had summers off. Mm-hmm. And so he would go for weeks at a oh, time yeah. all over the place. Um, and so it was pretty obvious that, that, that at, at certain points, and I mean, you, you know, too, as, as a dad <laughs> that like, you know, kids grow up pretty quick and while their childhood seems long at the time, you know, like you know, you're, you know, there's all this stuff going on for years like in the grand scheme of a human life, it's a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. And there's a lot that, you know, kids are, you know, all those memories and all that, their identity with uh, with you and their relationship with you, it's, it's formed in a relatively small window, like 10, 15 years kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like, you can't, there's no do over. Yeah, no. That, those 10, 15 years are really important. Yep. And so, um, so I think that's what I learned too, is that, you know, there's, there's a time probably for backing off. Um, when your kids are growing up and especially mm-hmm. before they kind of get to high school, um, when they're, where they're really kind of finding their way as humans and you're like helping guide them in that journey and as a parent and you can't, no one else is going to do it. It's you. Yeah. You know? And so if you, if you aren't there, you know, they're going to fill it with something else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that was something I learned from him and, and he, he acknowledged that too later in life too. I oh, think he, he, he realized that, yeah, that he wasn't necessarily super, um, happy, I think with how everything went. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he did, he didn't offer a lot of words, but he did, he did say like, eh, this is what I did and this is what happened kind of thing. Like, and uh, oh, wow. so, yeah, 
So that was because I asked him a little bit of questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I get very conflicted because I wrestle with that as a parent. Um, I grew up on movies where like, like there's a movie click with Adam Sandler and he's like obsessed with his job, wants to skip all of the, the you know, all of the, the, um, the mundane things with mm-hmm. his children, yeah, yeah, his yeah. wife. And like, there's, you know, a lot of other movies that are like that. Right. And in the, in the nineties and early two thousands. Right. And like, those are the family movies. And I look back on that and it's like, Oh, like all this whole narrative that, that I've heard is like, uh, a dad gets obsessed with their work and, it doesn't spend any time with their children and feels remorse because they just completely exactly that, like lost yeah, all this climbing time. Climbing or work and, or there's all sorts of ways you can get pulled see, away. I got, but I was naive because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm never, I'm not going to take this job. That's like, like I work a job specifically so that I can spend like all my son or not all my sons, but I could be available when my son's not in school. I have summers off. I, you know, I'm out when school gets out, snow days, I'm here, holidays, everything. Cause I'm single parent. It's like uh, 40 hours a week. I was working at auto glass and I'm like, oh, my son, you know, it's a holiday for the school. So he can't go to school on Friday. Can I take the day off? No, bring him in. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, we need you to bring him in. It's the best we can do. And it's like a place that's the size of my kitchen. Like not that, you know, not a very big room. It's like a little bigger than a closet. And he's like, oh, we'll give them coloring books. They're nice. They bought them like a toy. But I'm just like, oh, I can't. Like, I don't want my life to be this way. But I get the job and then I go and I climb. Or no, I'm doing jujitsu and climbing. And then I'm running and I'm doing these things and I'm doing them, taking them with me. And then I think like, I'm doing this thing. I'm obsessed with these things and being a role model. And then I'm like, look at my time and how I'm spending it. I'm like, oh wait, I'm naive. It's not just professional life. Like, no, it's it's yeah, and it's it's you know, I mean, as you know, as a parent, it's it's just the struggle against you know centering everything around self, you know, self and selfishness and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's it's whether or not it's work or work. It's easy to rationalize because you're providing mm-hmm. for your family, so it's easy to rationalize pulling away from the family to do that climbing it it's a little harder but like if you bring them along it's like oh yeah we're spending time together all that kind of stuff but you know a lot of times for kids it can be you know not not necessarily fun it can be kind of stressful and that sort of thing mm-hmm. so they would like to spend time with you just like going to the park yeah exactly getting drug up some mountain somewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know there's that balance and there's that tension and it's not necessarily saying that for any one person it's going to look the same you know to some other family, you're, for your own family, you're going to have to figure that out. But I think it's it's good to be aware mm-hmm. that that that's an issue that you can push too far to one side or the other. And and also something that you know to, with that awareness, then you can you know look at your life in like an honest way, right? And try to see where you can adjust your dials. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Dallas, you know, inadvertently kind of because of how driven he was in climbing when he was younger, when his kids were younger, he kind of showed me like, well, that's probably a little too driven. Yeah. (laughs) You could probably back off of that a bit. That's cool though. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've, I've wanted considered trying to talk to his family because I wanted to learn from, from all those sides. Cause I was talking to Scott and Scott and I were talking about, you know, how, how well that Dallas would, would do the balance. Right. Um, but that it's not to romanticize it because there is like that underlying thing where yeah. like we all, all of us struggle. And, yeah. but he had certain choices that like me personally, I'd probably change. And thankfully he made, thankfully he was open about those and people like yourself, like talk about those so that we can learn from those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm probably going to make some other mistake and hopefully someone can learn from that, you know? Yeah. 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 And yeah. And I think that, I think that's exactly it. Cause he was, 
you know, I, I got the sense. I, I didn't know. I don't know his family well. I think Scott um, knows them a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I got the sense at the memorial that, you know, they felt that his climbing partners saw the best of Dallas mm. and that they didn't see the best of him. Like mm-hmm. when he was the happiest, when he was the most engaged and that sort of stuff. And so like, I kind of got the sense that when he was at home, he was thinking about the mountains or thinking about Erie or mm-hmm. distracted about wanting to be there or whatever, and wasn't like present in whatever was going on mm. kind of thing. So that was a, that was a really good lesson that I don't think I fully, I mean, I, I understood a little bit when he was alive, but mm-hmm. his memorial service, because his family was, were the ones speaking, I got the complete picture kind yeah. of, you know, cause I got it from his perspective, obviously when I was doing stuff with him, but I'd never had gotten their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so that unfortunately had to happen after he passed on. And, and I don't know if I would have gotten that perspective without him passing on mm. because I probably would have never hung out <laughs> with his family and they probably would have never been that open and blunt with me, yeah. you know? So it was only because of his memorial service I think that I learned like that, the full picture of that whole relationship. Mm, that's interesting. Which was kind of an unfortunate reality. You know, it's like, you don't want to say like you, you something was good about memorial service mm-hmm. in a sense, but that for me, that, that really was a, a, cause it was right at a juncture with my youngest was like just months old mm-hmm. and my oldest was like two or three at the time when, oh, when Dallas died. So it was like, I was right at that juncture where like I could see the next 15 years ahead of me. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I have a chance to to take this and learn from it, kind of a thing. Wow! And the fact that you're you're aware of that. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, I mean, I think like like most you know, parents, young parents, it's like having kids is a it's a life changing experience, and and when that happens, like you start to try and figure out like what am, what am I doing like. How am I going to, how am I going to survive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so, like, no so, yeah, it's not, I, I mean, I think most people who, who are, who love their kids are, are trying. Yeah. If you're trying, you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking, you're like trying to learn and figure out how to do it better and you're failing and you're trying to course correct and all that kind of stuff real time. And so that, that his memorial service and his death happened at a time when it was like, uh, when it was a difficult time, yeah. you know, with two small kids and diapers and naps and not sleeping well and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, you can't you can't build your daily or monthly routines yet because they're it's yeah. still up to chaos until what, four chaos. or five. Yeah, exactly. Till four, mm-hmm. you know, till they can consistently wipe themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> tell you what's wrong. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. We we hadn't gotten there yet, so it was pretty chaotic, and wow. it was like this was all happening at that kind of time. So it was it was formative for me, and you know, probably more than climbing related lessons. I think that was one of the more lessons I learned from Dallas. Um, and unfortunately I learned it from him in his death kind of yeah. thing. Wow. Yeah. So, was, and I, you know, I, when you, when you reached out to, to me to, to talk about that, I was thinking of, about that and, and, you know, I have a lot of climbing partners I've learned a lot from over the years, but I don't think I've learned that particular lesson from anyone but Dallas, mm. which was interesting for me to think about. Yeah, that is interesting. And so something that I've just, like I said, or even as a parent, like in pursuing these things, it's it's hard not to get swept up and swept up into them within your own communities because I'll have friends in martial arts and like, or even rock climbing, and they're either climbing things that I've always wanted to climb, or they're moving up in a grade jujitsu. They're competing in the ways I want to compete, and it's like, well, if I want to do that, then I just use more time. But like. You know, it's pie, man. You only have so many slices. 
And That's true. I've, I'm like, it's actually been formative for me for the past two months and learning about Dallas and, um, and some other people, uh, like even in martial arts where it's like, I've come to the terms where I, I'm more like I'm a parent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm doing now. And yeah. It's an important job to, and, and there's no do overs. So, I mean, this, these are the years you have, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the climbing will always be there. The mountains will always be there. Um, but your, your kids will, will be older. Yeah. And, and, the, and then some of those chances you'll have to, to kind of guide their path will be in the past and they won't be available anymore. And then that relationship that, you know, that seed of a relationship as they grow older, it's really hard to be able to like even just um, bond with them. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, if you have, if you hadn't really laid that foundation in the first place. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you, your kids, so do you, do your kids express interest in like, um, do you like to run too or no? Not really. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Do, do your kids express interest in climbing at all? Or do you bring uh, it up? No, we've climbed I mean, a little bit, but they, I don't think they, they're really interested in it. I think it scares them a little bit, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they really enjoy, um, camping and backpacking. Oh, they do. So, um, so we we're trying to do, um, especially this year, I, I, I look back at last year and I spent too much time, probably climbing like <laughs> <Yeah>. mountaineering. <laughs> so this year I'm, I'm going to make a concerted effort because they're, they're old enough now. We got them, you know, decent sleeping bags and backpacks and stuff oh, where great. they can carry most of their own stuff. We did a three day backpacking trip last year. That was a lot of fun um, where they carried all their own stuff. Um, and it was, they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of a turning point, you know, cause it's up until that point, a lot of the outdoor stuff has felt like, you know, I'm going at, you know, a snail's pace. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like barely strolling <laughs> yep. and, uh, and they're complaining or whatever, but uh-huh. like, I felt like I was actually, you know, my heart rate was up. I was like actually working oh, and they were cool. like, kind of, they were engaged, they were enjoying it. I was enjoying it. Like it was, it was cool. And so uh-huh. I was like, we need to do a lot more of that this year. So that's, that's my goal in 2020 is to do more oh, multi-day right. backpacks with the kids. That's really cool. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to do uh, I have a no day cap backpacking trip with my son. And so it's like, a, it's a multi-day, but I pack enough food that it's, um, is it for, for seven days? Wow. And yeah, but you guys, that's how, you guys have done that before you've gone to uh, seven days. No, I haven't done seven days before, wow. but I'm packing enough food for that. And I'm just telling them you have just like at least three miles a day. And yeah. so what I'm trying to emphasize is like, is more of a, more of a park environment in the sense that we've done a yeah, time to play. And yeah, yeah. So we did a one where it was like just two miles and it was chain lakes, two mm-hmm. miles and we have eight hours to play. I don't have any, it's just him and I, I don't have any like technology. Um, we play pretend, we play hide and seek, you know, we Skip go. Rocks. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. like, and those moments were cool because I used to get trapped in like, we're going to go to the coolest place you've ever seen, son. We're going to go to this, you know, I'm going to take you to this lookout. Yeah, I'm going to take you to this They, they think it's just great going a yeah, mile. Exactly. They could stay at the parking lot probably. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they can. And that's where it's like, oh, okay. And all I wanted to do was like, for me, um, just expose him to different ways in like a national park. Yeah. Um, where whatever it is, just as long as it's like, if you grow up with the voluntary desire to go into a national park or at least like value it and just in some way, mm-hmm. then that's, that's my only goal. I want to, to teach conservation in that way yeah. and not force it. Cause it, and I find for me, there's like, if you, there's so many different things you can do in that context that there's probably something that you like. Yeah, um, you know, if- and I and I think the kids the kids are really inventive when they get to wherever it is, and they'll figure out something to do. I mean, the main thing is is weather. You know, yeah. if it's if it's horrible weather, then it's hard. But if it the weather's decent, they'll 
They'll figure out a way to amuse themselves for days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I for the thing for me is I want to get there more because sometimes yeah. I can get into this thing and like in my life where I spend time with my son and it's very like up here, you know, up in right, the head right, right. where it's like this is a structured play activity and this is what we're gonna do and like. Um, and I, you know, can either control or expectation and out there, it's just like, there's not really much like physical otherwise, other than safety boundaries. And there's not really like play boundaries. You can be loud. You could be quiet. You could run like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And like, I, and I, then it puts me in a situation to where there's no place other than to be with my son, like exactly as I am. Like there is no, just, there's no, I need to make food. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. It's just that and there's no house I have to clean. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's a good check. And have you, in your experience, did you ever hear of Dallas incorporating his kids into like outdoor activities? <laughs> <laughs> he had, he had one, uh, one story he told me where he took, I forget if it was Steve or Neil, um, one of them climbing and he knocked a rock and it hit one of them and didn't, I don't think hurt him really badly, but it scared <laughs> him. And they had like some, kind of arguing over it and it ended poorly and I think that was it. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think if I remember right, I I think after he told me that story after I asked him a question when my kids were really small and I said, mm -hmm. Dallas, you know, you ever cuz I never see him, I never had seen him climbing with his kids. I said, "Do you ever take your kids out climbing?" And he kind of laughed his gruff Dallas laugh. He's like, "Why would you want to do that?" <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know. I thought it might be a good idea. Yeah. And he told me the story. You know, he's like, ah, I'm not so sure or whatever. I was like, oh, okay. And so, I mean, I can totally see that. I, I've definitely had, especially alpine climbing, is, there's a lot of hazards. And yeah. I've had friends, you know, like Dallas die or get hurt. I've been hurt. Um, and so, yeah, so hiking and backpacking is what I've been focusing on, you know, with my kids. And you know, that's a lot more low stress for me because it's it's pretty safe and manageable. There's still hazards, obviously. They yeah. can get into trouble with cliff, cliffs around lakes and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's mm -hmm. exciting for them in that they can, like, scramble up things and, like, feel like yeah. they're doing something dangerous but not really very dangerous. And, exactly. And so it's, it's – I think it checks a lot of the boxes of climbing but keeps it – I mean, it, I didn't get into climbing until I was about your age. I was mm -hmm. about 25 or so. Um, and so, you know, there's plenty of future head if they want to do that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I go back and forth. I took my son up South early winter spires. Oh, wow. Yeah. And well, was, he just voluntarily did it because he was like, well, as much as he could, cause like, how do you, how do you conceptualize that? Right. But he's come cause in the summertime it's, um, since I only have custody of him, we'll always crag like at seven mile mm -hmm. and stuff where there's a fun base. And mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. there's like a, a, what is it? Usually an odd, we try to keep an odd number of climbers. And so I've invited like, uh, so someone can be with him kind of helping him like, yeah. a, like go both seconds coming up at the same time. Kind of exactly. Thing. And yeah, then, cause I would imagine that chimney on South early, yeah. like the South of red, that's kind of a tricky thing for a kid yeah, to navigate. Ex exactly. And like, and it's in that situation, there isn't any expect, like there's no getting to the top. Right. right. It's just like, we're just going to go up here and we're just going to have an experience. And then, um, and it was actually, it was pretty cool because the, the two, well, actually, so what I did was um, I did two like twin ropes almost. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, I ended up belaying him. So there was someone on the bottom and he was moving in between two people mm -hmm. basically. And then the person, yeah, yeah, yeah. The person up ahead of him was um, helping him and giving him beta. But he's been, uh, throughout the summer, I've been taking him and friends like cragging. Mm -hmm. um, 
and with their parents and, and stuff like that. I like have this weird penchant to invite people who have no idea what outdoor climbing is to mm-hmm. come outdoor climbing. And um, with that, like I would play like there might be like four kids, right? And we'd play, I'd have like one or two adults who play mm-hmm. games with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll usually have two ropes. So one could be like climbing for either mm-hmm. like the new people or kids. And then, you know, another team of like adults climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really great blend because it did feel more like, okay, we're just going to be outside. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I got to that point to where it's like the thing like, oh, I just omitted parks. I need to incorporate parks again because, mm-hmm. like, this isn't the same thing. I need mm-hmm. to dial it back a little bit. But yeah, because yeah. you can't. I mean, when you're when you're climbing, you can't really be as as carefree because there's there's hazard. Yeah. So you got to be like, you know, kind of on it and a little bit stern and like, no, well, this is how it has to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no time for screwing around. Like, mm-hmm. you need to be tied in. You need to not be like, you know, talking a lot. We got to communicate between Blair and climber and like. This is serious business, and it is. Yeah. But you know, for a kid, it's kind of like, well, why can't we just be playing? Like, yeah, exactly. I want to go down there and hang out by the goats. <laughs> yeah, I want to have fun. <laughs> That's what we did um, a month prior to that when we were camping um, somewhere, and not because you can't camp in Blue Lake, but we're camping like up between the. Spires oh yeah, and Blue yeah, Lake. yeah. Where, you, where um, you, there's that climber's path, and it kind of is that mm-hmm. bench area by yeah. the large, in the large, like the large meadow up there. Mm-hmm. Wake like, up and there's. Just goats everywhere yeah, and that's yeah, where yeah. we just stayed like for like the whole morning just playing with goats yeah, yeah, yeah. i have and those are those moments to where i have like the reminder oh no this is what's important for me okay and and it's yeah, cool that's impressive that you got him up south early that's, that's yeah. not an easy thing for a small kid that's where i was like in the reminder <laughs> of, of what it was but i kept telling him going up to washington pass and he's just told me dad i want to go up there and yeah. then i'm yeah and I took him up, and it, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a long, long, long day, though. Yeah, I imagine but it was fun. Um, and what was uh, one of your most memorable climbs that you had with Dallas? Uh, probably um, we climbed the um, the northeast ridge or buttress of Chair Peak in the winter mm-hmm. with Dallas mm-hmm. and Steve and this guy Kevin Kaiser. Um, are you going to talk to Steve? Uh, yes. You are? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Steve, Kevin, and Dallas and I went up there. And, um, you know, it's it's not super hard winter climb. It's a little bit of uh, kind of mixed and some easy ice. Um, but it was it was memorable because it, it, was, it was kind of like, I think it was the first time when I felt that the Dallas kind of um, loosened up a little bit around mm-hmm. me. Um, so, and started talking a little bit more about... Um, kind of, you know, kind of his, his teaching career and, and, you know, he was lamenting how, how kind of soft kids have gotten and how, you know, it used to be, you could like have dodgeball and the kids wouldn't cry. And now they all, now all they do is cry when you hit them and, and they can't handle again, especially if you hit them in the head, they can't handle that. And, you know, Cause he'd been teaching at this time he was retired, but he'd been teaching for like 30 years. So, Whoa. you know, he probably started in the, I'm guessing the seventies or something. And, uh, you know, you know, there was a pretty big societal change between like wow. the 1970s and the okay. 1990s, oh, yeah. or early two thousands or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so we, we went and did the climb and it was great. Um, we came, came down and then the traffic was bad coming. This is, this is down by, you know, Squamish pass. And mm-hmm. so we were coming back up to the Skagit. And so we went up, uh, through the Snoqualmie Valley instead of going in, 
um, and coming up through Everett. So we were going into Monroe. And so he, as, as we were going through Duval or somewhere, he's like, ah, let's pull over here. You know, let's get yeah, good burgers or whatever. And so, you know, it's dinner time. So we pull in there and then, then he like he he like orders a beer or two and then he like starts telling more stories and, oh, I was, wow. and it was like a side of Dallas that I hadn't really seen before because usually it was just like all like go up there do the climb whatever come home and like you know, we'd meet at Cook Road or whatever and then go our separate ways yeah. but like not go to a place and have dinner or whatever mm-hmm. so like he just seemed more relaxed and and it was it was really interesting just to kind of get some insight into and then I talked a little bit with him about you know growing up in Cedar Woolly. Um, you know, kind of in the in the late thirties, forties kind of a time period. Whoa, really? And just like, you know, what you know, the streets weren't paved then. It was like what? You know, yeah, wow. it was like you know, it was a rough and tumble logging town and and just kind of the differences there and then, you know, that's kinda of, he was a product of that environment and then, you know, so when kids are complaining about getting hit with dodgeball, he's just like, doesn't have any time for it. Cause it's just like, come on, life's tough. You need to toughen up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then how fat kids have gotten. Right. Yeah. That was the other thing he was totally down on. Uh, yeah. He was, he was not, not, not into like the obesity, childhood obesity thing that's going on. I'm like these kids need to work. They need to run. They need to do stuff. They need to get too fat. Throw more dodgeballs at them. Yeah. So that was, it was really funny listening to those stories so <laughs> that was that was probably my more memorable uh trip with him was that one just because of that it was like a kind of a change in in kind of how i viewed him wow yeah that's that so fun it's cool when people open up like that to you especially someone how how long after you met him was it did that happen it's probably a year or two well wow. i mean so we kind of you know I'd, I'd see him at erie over the years but we probably started climbing together I'm guessing I have to go back and look at pictures and stuff, but probably like 2005 or six. I'm wow. guessing. Um, so yeah, we climbed a, f- a few times together, but yeah, that was um, probably like 2008, seven or eight, somewhere wow. in there. So dang, yeah, I'm not used to that. I haven't met many people who are like like just like like they're very reserved, right, and like kind of not guarded, but they're you know focused. They don't talk very much about their in- inside life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a generational thing as well. I mean, social media, like I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's just of a different generation. He's, he's kind of like older than my parents' generation, but not quite my grandparents' generation. So, well, I'm not even shaped by my own like culture because, or like not my culture, but my, my parents, right. Cause like my mom, the things that I've talked to about my mom is I find that I'm that she's more opening up to me instead of the other way around. Oh, right? All right. And I know that that's a parent and the parent has, you know, more information usually than the child does. But, um, I see like a lot of the media that I listen to and a lot of it's more like, it's, you know, long form, right. Not as edited. Um, and it, it's not curated, right. I'm more, and I'm grow in the past five years anyways i've listened to interviews and those interviews are more like um people laying everything out whereas when i was even younger or even looking at like certain like you know popular news outlets it's more like a curated list of accomplishments Mm. does that make sense Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like and Mm -hmm. i guess so perhaps i'm more influenced to divulge everything because like even from the first like 30 minutes of meeting you i just tell you all like you know what I mean? The things yeah, that I struggled yeah, yeah. with when I was a kid. And yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what I do. Even podcasts or no podcast, man. That's where yeah. that's what I'll do usually. Yeah. Yeah. So he I I wouldn't say Dallas was was like that. You know, mm-hmm. I he he kinda 
he kept it at least in the first while that I knew him. He, he kept it fairly focused on the task at hand, you know, climbing or whatever we were up to. Um, but but yeah, but he he definitely could could loosen up a little bit too. That's so, cool. Yeah. And and it comes back full circle with your, with your kiddos because what like when your kids are growing up and they get into track and field, and you realize that like Dallas Cloakey had this whole other part of his life. With For sure, yeah, that was not something that um, I was anticipating until, until, until I was kind of confronted with it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it wasn't something. I mean, I knew he was a track and field coach, but you know, that was high school kids. You know, to my mind, I didn't realize that he was, you know, like the community track and field coach. Like, and he wasn't the only person that set up these things. But mm-hmm. I got the sense from talking with people who've been there since the beginning that he was one of the main driving forces. Wow, um, for the. Um, you know, the all comers track meet, mm-hmm. um, in Burlington and without him, it's, you know, it may not have happened kind of a thing. I mean, they definitely, um, you know, I, I think it may have been called the, I'm not sure if it was only called the Dallas Cloakey jog- joggers mile after he passed on, or if that was something that they just thought was funny mm-hmm. because it was his idea. So they maybe all, maybe it was always that way. I should ask this year, I'll ask them, mm-hmm. um, you know, how the, how the genesis of that was, if it was because of his passing or if it was just because he was just the force of nature. But, um, yeah, that was something I didn't expect at all. Um, but, and I, and I don't even know if, I think he was, he was dead for a year or two before I think he even went to my first one. Really? And I saw his name on stuff and I started asking people like, what's the deal with this? Like, and they're like, Oh, well Dallas was like, how do you know Dallas from running? I'm like, no, from climbing. Like, what do you mean? He's like a big running. Oh yeah. In the running community, he was huge and, wow. you know, organized all this stuff and track meets and, and coaching. And yeah. So it was the whole side of him that, which was amazing to me because it seemed like he was focused on climbing so much. How would he have time for anything else? But yeah. he just was like, was, you know, he was retired and he just was busy all the time doing stuff. Wow. That's wild. So, yeah. In, in closing, do you do you have a favorite story of Dallas? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I'm not sure if I can if I can just if I can just point it to um, you know one story of Dallas. You know, he he was legendary for his toughness and for his drive and for his, you know, kind of, um, just for how dedicated he was just to like one activity for so long. Mm. And so, you know, kind of some of the stories I've told you already about, um, some of the climbs we went on. Mm Um, yeah, I, as far as like other stories, he, he wasn't, he wasn't super goofy. So, Mm -hmm. um, it was more, it was more people would would tell stories kind of more in awe and respect of just his age and mm-hmm. what he was able to do still in the mountains and kind of carry his share like he didn't expect anyone to carry the rack or the rope he would mm-hmm. grab it you know whatever like you know and you could see in his climbing journals that i've looked at and, and i'll send you a link to you so mm-hmm. you can look at them too you can see that when he was younger like we all got tired out by Dallas, you know, in his sixties <laughs> and I think Scott started climbing with him. Maybe he was in his fifties, but, and it's kind of funny now cause Scott's in his fifties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually that podcast, by the way, came really full circle because he, he technically when we were, 
on the podcast, it's exactly when he met like Dallas, you know, roughly in those years, like, cause Dallas was 50 then. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's cool because you get to reflect back on like how this mentor affected you and now you're in his like shoes. Yeah. And so in that sense, you know, I was, I was right at the end of the kind of a lot of people you're going to talk with. Mm-hmm. And I hope you get a chance to talk to Chris, uh, um, as well. Cause Chris was, probably mentored more by Dallas than almost anybody. Mm. And he's been very open about that. He's mm-hmm. written really, he's a, he's, that's what he does. He's a writer mm-hmm. and, um, and a, and a professional climber as well. His wife is, is a really good climber. And, um, and so, you know, he's written about that, um, at, at length about how Dallas, you know, took this kind of kid who was struggling, didn't really know his place or way in the world and kind of was a father figure to, to him mm-hmm. and, and really kind of helped guide his path and straighten him out when he was struggling. Wow. Um, and I think to some degree, Scott also had a bit of that relationship. Um, I came in, you know, probably almost 20 years on, mm-hmm. um, from that time. And cause I think a lot of this stuff was like the mid nineties and I probably started, um, well, maybe not 20 years, 10 years on from that. Um, and so I kind of came in at the very end and Dallas was kind of slowing down and being a little less, uh, uh, driven and gruff and stuff. (laughs) So, um, I kind of saw, I kind of had a different relationship with him, not so much as like a father figure or mentor, but more Mm -hmm. just like as someone I really respected and looked up to for his life's accomplishments and that sort of thing. And so, um, for me, you know, looking through his journals and seeing all that he'd done and how, how driven he was like, to me, that's kind of, um, you know, his whole life to me is like my favorite story about him just because how remarkable it is and how unusual it is and why we're here talking about him mm-hmm. in a podcast 10 years after he died. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's not many people 10 years after they die that you're going to have someone who never met them mm-hmm. become really interested in them and pull together all these threads from his life and turn into a podcast. Yeah. I mean, that's that to me is almost cooler than any of the stories that I knew firsthand of Dallas, because mm-hmm. that just speaks to how unique he was and how wide ranging his influence and how the ripples from his life have extended out well beyond it. Mm-hmm. And so much into yours where you have this consideration of what you love in the mountains and parenting. Yeah. And so I only have, you know, I mean, I have, I have a picture of him on my, my wall in my gear room and Fred Becky. And those are the only two pictures I have <laughs> of people yeah. on my gear room wall. So yeah, Dallas is, is definitely a, uh, someone I think about because I see his picture all the time. So that's right. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Thanks, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Woo. I love being able to talk to another father and like, just passionate person, especially a climber, about how they balance their draw to the mountains to adventure and pursuing the things that they love and the things that call to them and also caring for your children, your family, and, you know, to be honest, your community. It's so interesting and kind of arbitrary where you draw those uh, boundaries, right? Like there's no like perfection or right or wrong, not like looking for the answer that, that fits everyone. It's more like a story. It's very artful, you know, being a, a parent, like many things. It was just cool listening to someone who's much older than me as a parent, a current parent, and then talking about someone who 
was a parent to now grown adults and who has been climbing for his entire life. You know, Dallas Cloakey was a legend and not just like his climbing, but how he was able to manage his family. And it was not without its, without its faults, but that's the humanity in all of us, right? We all make our own sacrifices and we make our own errors, but what do we do in the face of those errors? How do we reconcile those and how do we affect the people around us? <laughs> Life's just so, so fun. I'm going to play you guys out with a song that I thought was really fitting by Kimya Dawson. It's my baby. Stay tuned. We got some more of these Dallas Cloaky episodes coming out. Cheers.